And one of the ways that we're trying to develop on our live stream is to be able to pray with you during our service and for about 15 minutes after our service. So we are going to have a, a link in our chat box, the chat box on your screens that you can go to. And we've got a short a video kind of introducing that because we know it's a little different for many of you. We're going to play that video right now. Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. An important part of our abundant life in Christ is coming together as the church to worship and receive prayer. Unfortunately, during this time of social distancing, coming together in person for prayer is not easy. That's why Victory has created a way for you to receive prayer online. During the service this morning and for 15 minutes following, you can receive prayer by clicking on the link in the YouTube chat window. Once you click the link, it will open Zoom. If you have never used Zoom, it is easy to set up. Once you enter the Zoom meeting, you'll be greeted and placed into one of several prayer rooms with a trained member of our prayer team. It is completely confidential and only visible to the two of you. So what are you waiting for? Let us pray for you and help you experience the abundant life that Jesus has for you. So we hope that helps you feel a little bit more comfortable with going there to a, with your prayer requests. And we encourage you to go there with your prayer requests. It will be available anytime through the service and will be available 15 minutes after the service. Well, the title of my message this morning is Keep an Open Mind. Keep an open mind. When I, I say that, I read that, I look at that, keep an open mind, what comes to your mind? Some different thoughts definitely come to my mind. When I think of that phrase or when I, in my head, hear somebody saying that to me, Mike, keep an open mind. It usually comes to me in a couple of different ways. They might say, Mike, keep an open mind, and in the midst of that is basically a rebuke or they're trying to lecture me about something. Something where they're saying, really, Mike, don't be so narrow-minded. Mike, don't be so judgmental. Mike, don't be so intolerant. Don't be so rigid. All of those things are going to have a very negative connotation. Or on the flip side of that, when I hear somebody say, keep an open mind, I may hear it in a very positive light. I may hear it like, You know, Mike, keep an open mind. There are some new ideas, new ways of doing things. Don't be stuck. Or they might be saying, you know, there's some new revelation that we've been given, that we can receive. There's also a a new understanding. I, I may have thought I understood something, but now I understand it more clearly. Very positive. And when I look at it that way, either one of these things, this keep an open mind, can be a very positive statement or it can be a very negative statement. And the reality is, whether it's a positive or a negative, it could be true either way in certain situations. There are times when I could be becoming intolerant, narrow-minded, rigid. And there are other times where I just need to be open to new ideas, new thoughts, new revelation. Keep an open mind. What does that mean to you? I'm going to just share with what it means to me so you understand where I'm going with this as we proceed into the text this morning. When I hear keep an open mind, it means to me that there may be more information that I don't have yet. Or there may be information that I'm misunderstanding and I don't really understand it yet. It means to me that when I get that information, my perspective or 
or my position or understanding may change as more truth becomes apparent to me. But the thing that makes this difficult is knowing when I get new information or what appears to be new revelation, is it in fact based on truth? And if it's not based on truth, all it is is somebody's opinion, whether it's mine or someone else's. Now, there's many examples I could use, but very easy and one we're hearing all the time these days in the situation we're living in with this whole COVID-19 thing. Mike, keep an open mind. Look at the facts. Boy, that's challenging. There's facts coming from every perspective. It seems like we hear different things almost every day. Um, Matter of fact, I don't hear many different things anymore because I quit listening to a lot of it. You know, stay three feet away, stay six feet away, stay 13 feet away. Wear a mask, don't wear a mask. You know, we can't open up, we need to open up. There's so many things. Which ones are true? How do I know to separate facts from fiction? Things that aren't true. And this can happen in a lot of ways and a lot of situations that are even more relevant to us today. Sometimes there are things in our lives that prevent us from really understanding something, understanding it correctly, even if it is the truth. You know, for example, what kind of things could prevent me from understanding the truth correctly? Well, first of all, could be past experiences. Past experiences will dictate the way I process information and the way I come to a conclusion. But not just past experiences. Traditions, we've always done it that way. Oh, here's a good one. Pride. Pride. What do you mean to keep an open mind? Obviously, I'm right and you're wrong. Pride can prevent us. Having certain expectations that we get the new information, but it doesn't fit our expectations, so it prevents me from understanding more correctly what's going on. Personal comfort. I may be very comfortable thinking and believing the way I think and believe. Don't confuse me with new information. There's so many things. Prejudices, love of the world, lust of the world. All of these things can have an impact on how I receive new information. And I believe a number of these things were true in the lives of the disciples as they were walking with Jesus. And Jesus didn't really clear it up until just before he was ready to leave the earth and ascend to heaven. And that's where we're at when we look at our text this morning. So I want to pray quickly, and then I want to go to our text. If you want to get your Bibles prepared and ready, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 24, and we're going to start at verse 44. Luke chapter 24, verse 44. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we look into your word, your Holy Spirit guides us. Holy Spirit, open our minds to understand. Give us understanding based on truth. Father, I pray that anything that I might say this morning that is not in accordance with your will or your word, Father, that those words would just tumble to the ground and do no harm to anyone. Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to start by reading in Luke chapter 24, verse 44. Now he said to them, and the he is Jesus. He says, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, 
that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. In the midst of those verses, I think there's a gift that we might not be aware of. And it's the gift of opening our minds to understand the Scriptures. Opening our minds to understand the Scriptures. Jesus is doing that right now in the Scripture we're reading, the text we're reading, with his disciples. Up to this point, their understanding has been limited. But we need to understand a couple things. Even when we say Jesus opened their minds so they might understand the Scriptures. It wasn't that they didn't understand something about the Scriptures. As Jewish men, they would have had a certain understanding of the Law of Moses. They would have had an understanding of the Prophets. And they would have had an understanding of the Psalms. And now when they say the Psalms, those are the three sections of the Jewish Scriptures. The Law, the Prophets, and what they called the Psalms. The Psalms was much more than just what we think of as the book of Psalms. It included all the rest of the Scripture, not included in the first five books of the Bible, the Law of Moses, and the Prophets. So it would have included you know, Nehemiah and Ruth and Song of Solomon and Proverbs and, and Chronicles and all the rest of the Scriptures, basically. So he is saying to them, I'm giving you a greater understanding from what you have heard and read and know. I'm giving you a greater understanding. He's opening up their minds to some of the scriptures that had been previously hidden from them. So it's not that they didn't know at all. We don't want to jump to that conclusion when it talks about opening up their minds to understand. And the other conclusion I don't want anybody to wrongly jump to is, see, I told you the Bible's too hard for a normal person to understand it. No, that's not it either. He opened their minds at this time so they would understand the Scriptures, so they would better understand everything that had happened in the past had to happen that way. And we will talk a little bit uh, later that our minds have also been opened if we know Jesus Christ is our personal Lord and Savior. So it's not that they didn't know something about the Scriptures, and it's not that no ordinary person can understand the Scriptures. It's just that there's something that happens when our minds are open to understand the Scriptures the way that the Holy Spirit can do in each one of our lives. And without that, quite frankly, before we're believers, it's just not going to work. I want to read to you a Scripture that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. Starting at verse 14, he said, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. 
They're spiritually revealed to us. So the natural man, what's the natural man? That is the unsaved man. That's the man that we all were before we accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. And the Holy Spirit indwelt us and became our teacher. And they cannot understand them. So why should we be surprised so oftentimes when we might even share Scripture with a non-believer if the Holy Spirit isn't working in their life at that moment? They don't get it. Not only don't they get the Scripture, they don't get us. They think we're crazy too. If you would go on in that verse, it says, But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. In other words, the spiritual man, one born again by the Spirit of God, understands these things. But no one else understands us either. For who has made known the mind of the Lord? In other words, who could know? The natural man will not understand the mind of the Lord, but it tells us that we have the mind of Christ. So this amazing gift was given to the disciples just before Jesus ascended to heaven. This amazing gift, he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And this amazing gift has also been given to you and me as believers in Jesus Christ when we accept Christ and the Holy Spirit moves into us and dwells in our lives, which we'll talk about again just a little bit later. So I want to look at this section of Scripture, and I want to look at this section of Scripture as if Jesus is not only talking to the disciples at that moment in time, but he's also talking to us and giving us some ideas of ways that we are to minister in the calling that he's called us to as disciples as followers of Christ, as those are to help other people discover and experience the abundant life in Christ, those of us that are to advance the kingdom. So first of all, I want us to notice back in verse 44, where Jesus is speaking and he says to them, all of these things have to happen. In Luke chapter 24, verse 44, he first said, all things written about me must be fulfilled. Up to this time, remember, The disciples really didn't understand, even though Jesus had told them pretty clearly that he had to go to Jerusalem, that he was going to suffer and die, that he would rise again on the third day, but it's like it went right over their heads. And it's almost like right now in this last part of Luke, he's saying kind of a, and I told you so, but it wasn't their fault they didn't get it because it was still hidden from them. And then he goes on just a couple verses later in verse 46, and he says, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. I believe he is making this so significant. He repeats himself in just two verses apart. First he says, I must, and then he says, should. And in the Greek, those are the same word. It's translated differently in our Bibles. One place must and one place should, but it means it had to happen. It's an unavoidable thing. It was unavoidable. So he is telling them in the Old Testament, the prophets, the law of Moses, and all of the Psalms, all those other books of the Bible, everything that it said there about the Messiah absolutely had to take place. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It had to happen. It was necessary for our salvation. And as far as we can understand, this was God's plan. This was his plan A. If there was a plan B, we don't know what it was. So from our position, it had to happen. There was no other way to salvation. The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important, and he's driving this home to the disciples because this is part of the message that they are to carry. This is one of the things, 
or the primary thing that separates Christianity from all the other religions. The God that we worship died on a cross, paid the price for our sins, but on the third day He rose again from the dead and He is alive. He is living. This is one of the reasons we as Christians should always glory in the cross of Christ. You know, sadly, in many groups of people, Christian groups, the cross is hardly ever talked about anymore. The blood of Jesus is hardly talked about anymore. Repentance is hardly talked about anymore. It doesn't, they don't want to talk about this gross, bloody religion. And the reality is, without the cross and the consequences of the cross, there is no salvation. And we should talk about the cross. Share the message of the cross and the meaning of the cross. When we look at the cross, we see our debt paid in full. A debt that we could never, ever, ever have paid on our own, in our own strength. It had to happen. The cross, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus made it possible for the salvation of all men. And Jesus is reiterating that in His words. Everything in the Old Testament about the Messiah had to happen. Talk about that. And then He goes on and He kind of clarifies and elaborates a little bit on what the disciples and us as followers are supposed to pre- supposed to preach. In verse 47, He goes on and says, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. First, I want to focus on the first part of this verse. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is what Jesus said the message needs to be. It's about repentance. Repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Again, as I said just a few moments ago, in a lot of places, in a lot of churches, frankly, we don't talk about repentance much. And what we're talking about here is repentance for the forgiveness of sin that leads to salvation. That initial repentance after our sin has been revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. That we acknowledge that we are sinners and that we need a Savior and that Jesus is that Savior. And it's through this repentance that we can receive forgiveness of sins. Now I understand it's a gift of grace given by God to us. But somehow or other, Repentance and forgiveness of sin are irrevocably linked together. Repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus is telling them, this is what you need to preach. He always says, you need to preach the resurrection. Just like we talked about and was prophesied in the Old Testament, you need to preach the resurrection from the dead. And you need to preach the message of repentance unto forgiveness. And it should be proclaimed in Christ's name. And remember, when we see that in Christ's name, we're talking about in the authority of Jesus. In Acts chapter 17, verse 30, Paul, or excuse me, Luke is writing these words. And he's talking to the people, and he says this, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, in other words, God has overlooked those times of ignorance. He's saying, but now we know better. He says, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. All men everywhere 
need to repent. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and you're probably a little more familiar with this scripture, it's after the day of Pentecost, or on the day of Pentecost, when Peter gives his first sermon. And when he finishes his sermon, the people ask him this question, what must we do to be saved? And what is the words that come out of Peter's mouth? The first thing he says is, repent. Repent. What must we do to be saved? We must repent, acknowledge that we're sinners, that we need a Savior, turn away from that sin. He goes on and he says, repent. And be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. The message of salvation must include the cross and it must include repentance for the forgiveness of sins. If we try to lead someone to a saving, the saving grace of God by sharing with them the scriptures, the message, the gospel message, we have to explain to them the cross and the resurrection. We have to explain to them the need to repent, to recognize the reality that we're sinners. The message of salvation is incomplete without that. By nature, all men are guilty and condemned because of sin. Until anyone except Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, they are guilty and condemned. And if nothing happens, their destination will be separated from God for eternity. We call it hell. So we need to share that message of the cross. We need to share the message of repentance that leads to forgiveness. The good news is, anybody who is willing to receive by faith Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, they immediately receive a full pardon from their sin. And that's the thing we need to remember. Pardon, the pardon we receive is a gift from God. It's not that our repentance earns it. It's just part of the project, part of the process. It's a gift of God that we receive by grace through faith in Jesus. But forgiveness comes through repentance that leads unto salvation. And it's really interesting to me whom they're supposed to preach to. We're going to back back now to verse 47 and we're going to focus on the last part of the verse. It says, And the repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name by His authority to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. All nations. Well, it has to go to all nations because it has to go to all people. All people are guilty of sin, just as I mentioned a moment ago. And if we don't understand that clearly, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says it really clearly, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the Word of God, the Gospel message, the message that we're supposed to share, needs to go to all nations. Pretty easy to understand. But the question I have then is for us is, beginning from Jerusalem. Why from Jerusalem? Why does it need to begin there? Is it only because that's where they were? They were close to Jerusalem? Or is there more significance to the fact that he says, we're going to go to all nations, but 
it has to start in Jerusalem. I believe there's at least three and maybe more reasons why there is significance to that fact that Jesus is telling them Jerusalem. Not just because that's where they were or it was close by. I believe, first of all, he had told them already that everything that had happened in the Old Testament had to take take place and be fulfilled in the Messiah. And in the Old Testament, it clearly says in numerous places, but it says specifically in Isaiah, he says, the word of the Lord must go forth from Jerusalem. That's Isaiah 2, verse 3. So he had to fulfill everything, just as he had told them and explained to them, everything in the Old Testament had to be fulfilled. And that was part of it, beginning from Jerusalem. But I don't believe that's the only reason. I believe one of the important reasons he says that he's to begin in Jerusalem, they're going to be taking a a message to the world. And quite frankly, it's kind of a wild message. It's kind of hard to believe. What better place to start this message than in Jerusalem? If there was any place on earth where their message could be totally discredited, it would have to be where all the events that they're talking about took place, and that was in Jerusalem. But the reality was, the grave was empty. The tomb was empty, there was no body, and there was no body ever found of Jesus. So even in Jerusalem, where all these events took place, the message that they were sharing about the resurrection could not be discredited. What better place for it to take and and launch this message? And I believe there's a third reason, at least. As I said, there may be more. Most of us, well, I shouldn't say that. I... When I think of this time in the Bible, I think of Roman, the Roman Empire as the evil empire. And I kind of think of Jerusalem as this sort of innocent victim. But I'm wrong when I think that way. Jerusalem as a city was pretty much evil in and of itself. Think about Jerusalem at this time. Jerusalem had been described as the people and the place that had killed the prophets. It was the place that had killed those who came preaching the message of repentance. You don't have to even think further back than John the Baptist, who they beheaded. What was his message? Simple. Repent. This was a city that was filled with pride, arrogance, self-righteousness. This was a city that actually had just Less than a month, maybe a month, a few days more than that. They had killed the Messiah in this city. It was an evil city. Talk about a hardness of heart. The religious people who should have known the the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, the Psalms, better than anyone else. They were so hard-hearted, so filled with pride, so filled with self-righteousness, they killed the Messiah, when he came to them. What can we learn from this fact when we think about a description of the city of Jerusalem and Jesus is telling his disciples, that's where I want you to start. And I want to acknowledge up front, I'm making a couple of assumptions here, but I think when I look at this, 
I think one of the things we see is the amazing love of God towards sinners. The compassion that he has on the lost. The compassion that he has on the worst of the worst. Those that we in our own minds might describe as not deserving of his grace. Those that we may write off in our own lives now even saying, they're not going there. Their lifestyle, it's impossible. Frankly, if many of us would look at our own lives, we might say the same thing if we could look at it back before Christ in our lives and say, it's impossible. There's no way God can get a hold of that person. I think when we look at Jesus saying, start right here, right here in Jerusalem where the hardest of hearts are, those who have totally rejected the Messiah, we're going to start there. I think it's a reminder for us that we need to realize, though it may look impossible to us as those who are supposed to be carrying these messages to the world, it may look impossible for this person or that person to be saved. But to God, nothing is impossible. I think part of this whole start in Jerusalem is really to encourage us, to motivate us to realize there was no one beyond the reach of Jesus. And then he adds a caveat in the next verse. He says, you are witnesses of these things. The message he's asking them to carry and the places he's going, it's a tough message. It's a tough ministry. And quite frankly, for you and me today, it is still a challenging message and it's a tough ministry. But he says to the disciples, you are witnesses of these things. He says, you have seen all these things that I'm talking about. You were there. This gives credibility. You saw me after the resurrection. You saw me. You touched me. You ate food with me. You were there when they nailed me to the cross. You were there when the tomb was empty. You've been witnesses of all these things. All the things that have been fulfilled in my ministry, you saw it. And I believe not only all of that, he's also saying you are witnesses of the message I'm giving you right now. That you are to go to all the nations starting in Jerusalem and you're to carry the message of the cross, the resurrection, and the message of repentance unto forgiveness. You are witnesses to all of this. And just the fact that we're witnesses And you and I today may say, well, we're not quite the same witnesses as they were. No, we're not quite the same witnesses as they were. But every single one of us have a testimony that can witness to the grace and mercy of God. We have a witness in our own lives. But not only that, we have the Word of God in its fullness now. We have the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. And we have the Holy Spirit living in us that we are called to be witnesses just like they were. And he said, the promise of the Father is coming. In verse 49, and he says, Behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father. I'm sending him forth upon you, but you're to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The promise. The promise could almost be capitalized as a personal person, the Holy Spirit. What Jesus is saying, I am going to send forth the the Holy Spirit from my Father. 
And you are to stay in Jerusalem until you are clothed in power by the Holy Spirit. You know, when we look at the Old Testament, the great promise in the Old Testament was of the Messiah. And when we look at the New Testament, the great promise is the coming of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus told the disciples to carry out your mission, to take it to the nations, to go to the hardest of hard places and to the most difficult and the hardest of people. You're going to need power. You're going to need the Holy Spirit. And as I go to the Father, I'm going to have the Father send the Holy Spirit to you just has been promised. But wait in Jerusalem for that to happen. For the disciples and for us, it's true. The Holy Spirit will give us all the gifts, all the power, and all the authority that we need to carry out the mission and to deliver the message that Jesus is asking us to do, that he's calling us to do. Jesus opened up the minds of the disciples that they might understand. That they would have greater revelation of the Scriptures, particularly those of the Messiah. You and I have been given the Holy Spirit. If we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have been given the Holy Spirit and we have the Word of God and our minds have been opened to understand the Scriptures. The title of my message was, you know, Keep an Open Mind. Jesus opened our mind. The Holy Spirit opens our mind. But I do believe there are things we can do to keep an open mind. We need to be familiar and be, be putting our time in with the Word of God. And we need to be developing our ears to hear the Holy Spirit speaking to us. So that we are understanding what it is God wants us to do. We have the advantage of the entire Bible that the, the disciples didn't have that they wrote for us many of us and we have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in us as our teacher our minds have been opened the Holy Spirit opens our minds when we become a believer when we're born again if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you've never repented and acknowledged that you're a sinner and needs a Savior, there's no way you can understand what the Word of God really is saying. We can't understand it because our mind has not been opened. But the moment we are born again, the moment that we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit indwells us, the Teacher indwells us, our minds have been opened. And we, like the disciples who were told to stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came upon them, baptizing them in the Holy Spirit, they would be endued with power. Same holds true for us. We can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Immersed, if you would, in the Holy Spirit to receive even greater power to enhance the gifts that are given to us by the Holy Spirit, that we can carry out the message that we're called to do. We need to be in the Word. We need to be hearing the Holy Spirit. And we need to do everything we can to keep an open mind that we can fulfill the amazing call that God has given us 
the amazing ministry that he's given us to take this gospel message to the world. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for the Holy Spirit that you have given us. In your infinite plan and infinite wisdom, you have given us the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself said that it would be better that he would leave, that we might receive the Holy Spirit than it would be if he stayed. So, Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you live and dwell in each one of us, that we are the temple of God because of you dwelling in us. God, I pray that you would help us in our human frailties and human weaknesses, God, to crucify our flesh, that we would spend time knowing your word, reading your word, meditating on your word, developing a keen ear for the voice of your Holy Spirit, that our minds remain open, that we are so sensitive to your leading that we are more effective in carrying out the mission that you've given us. Let us never forget, Holy Spirit, continually prompt us to the power and the presence of the cross, the need for repentance and turning away from our sins that we might experience the fullness of being a born-again believer that we can carry out all that you have called us to do. We give you all praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.